Hey everyone, welcome to the Coastal Podcast. I'm Pastor Lucas Granger and want to say thank you for listening in. May this podcast bring some light to your world today. Enjoy grace and peace. Man, just welcome if it is your first time. Just hope that you enjoy the service this morning. It is special. We're not just celebrating baptism, but it is Legacy Sunday. It's a day we're also bringing our best gift into the house, and God's just going to advance the kingdom even further. Man, some great things are happening right now at the building. People are working. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Brunswick County, and if you get some people to show up to work, that's a miracle. Come on. It is happening. Miracle, man, plumbing's rough. I like all that good stuff. So it's happening. Uh, also this morning, I want to take some time. Uh, we've been, the, myself, the elders, the board, we've been praying about some things for literally years, y'all, years. And we've, we've felt not yet, not yet, not yet. And this, this is the time. This is the time. So I want to share with you guys some vision. And this vision really is kind of for the next I don't know, seven years, 10 years. I don't know how far uh, God has for us, but it, it, it's, it's going to be awesome. But I'm using uh, a story that Jesus tells. Actually, it's not a story. It's, it's a moment in time where Jesus is getting ready to multiply some loaves and some fish, y'all. So turn with me to the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And let me bring my bread so you can see it. Right there. All right. John chapter 6. Now after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Paparazzi 2,000 years ago. Because they saw his miraculous signs and he healed the sick. And Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him, and it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus saw this huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked this question, where can we buy some bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Come on. Anytime Jesus asks you a question, he's not looking for an answer, right? He knows the answer. He's testing Philip in this way. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Simon, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's this young boy over here, and he's packed his lunch. Five barley loaves. What young kid is going to eat five loaves of bread? I mean, kids leaving the house you know, like one loaf of bread, I get it. This dude's like, no, mom, I need another one and another one. Five, like, dude loves some carbs. So he's there, he's got, we got five loaves, two fish, but what good is this with such a huge crowd? How are we going to feed all of these people? There's like 5,000 just men there. And how, man, this is enough to feed a few, or maybe one hungry little boy. How are we going to feed this multitude? What good, what good is that with this huge crowd? And to which Jesus says this, tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. One of the other gospels actually said they sat down in sections. There was groups of 50, groups of 100. Sat down on these grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Come on, the God who wastes nothing. So they picked up the pieces, and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So it starts out, there's this question. And the question is this. Where can we buy some bread to feed all of these people? Jesus identifies a problem. There's this large group of people, and they're hungry. And how are we going to feed all of these people? I have a question for you this morning. When you look at humanity... 
when you open your front door, when you lay your head on your pillow, what problems do you see? What problems do you see? For some of us, we could answer and say there's a problem with homelessness, problem with hunger, lack of education, laws that need to be passed, racism, widows. There's no lack of problems. But you've got to recognize that everyone doesn't see what you see. So you see an issue, and you may think it's obvious to everyone, but everyone doesn't see what you see. And those times, if you were asked your normal Jewish person, what is the problem? For the most part, their answer would be something like this. The problem is Rome. We are slaves in our own hometown, and I'm tired of getting beat. I'm tired of being a slave in this place. And so what we need is for a king to come and to bring his kingdom and we need to be free from this Roman oppression, right? If we were all slaves, we would all identify this is an issue. But what happens is Jesus shows up and for the most part rejects their request. See, they wanted a king and a kingdom to look like well, everything they had known before. And Jesus comes back and he's not the king that they thought he would be. Well, we thought kings would come in and just, you know, riding the big horse and looking a certain way. Surely not born in this town. Surely not just this average guy. And, and the kingdom, like, first thing, come on, God, time after ten, time, the disciples are asking, when are we going to overtake Rome? When, 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 is the, when is all of this going to be restored? And Jesus doesn't do things the way they want him to do it. Have you recognized that pattern in your life? Come on, somebody. Come on, Jesus. If you would just do it like this, if you would just do it my way, Jesus, I mean, this is all of us. We, we, we see a problem. We have a solution. And Jesus doesn't work the way we want him to work. He doesn't see things the way we see them. He doesn't stress over the things that we stress about. Come on, there's a, there's a storm and Jesus is asleep on the boat. Come on, Jesus, do you even care? All of these things, looking at the masses, recognizing the problem. And it can lead us to a variety of different roads on how we're going to solve it. For some of us, our response is simply go to work. Well, no, no, like, let's go to work. You know, if we work and we work and we work, and then we could solve this problem, and, and we'll all try and figure out how we can make the math add up. And if you do this part, and you do this part, and you do this part, and together, and, and if all these people go to work, and all these people, and then we could feed everybody. Or you see the impossibility of the situation, and instead of, instead of just trying to figure out the problem, we go to Facebook. Come on. The disciples, you could just see them. Yeah, there's, there's an issue on the side of the mountain today. I don't know. I told Jesus he should have let him go home a long time ago. And we just start complaining. We complain about the government. Come on, somebody. We complain about Republicans. We complain about Democrats. We complain about our pastors. We complain about our mama, our daddy. Come on. It's always somebody else's fault. Let's just be honest. And, and it just kind of makes us, because we see the problem. Again, I ask you, but what problems do you see? What is your reactions to the problem that you see? And I would remind us that there's the recognition that not everyone sees the things that you see. And I would also remind us this morning that God's plan of correction for these problems is different from your plan of correction. And also, his plan is better than your plan. Come on. We can say amen to that, but we're like, no, I think I got a good plan, Jesus. I could wrap this thing up in a few days. But left to ourselves, the best we could do is defeat Rome. The best we could do is try to establish a kingdom that solves our immediate problem. We don't have a lash on our back anymore. But even if we solve this problem, we've only delayed the circle. Because circumstances have changed on the outside, but circumstances haven't changed on the inside. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciple, listen, there's something that's going to happen here, but what's happening in you, Philip, is more important than what's happening around you. And if I could get this in you, Philip, because the lesson that he's trying to teach him right now is this, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And if you see me as the bread of life, you realize we don't really have a hunger problem right now. 
See, everyone thinks that we have a hunger problem, but the real problem is these people aren't hungry for me because I am the bread of life. And if you're hungry for me, you know that I could take just a little bit and create a whole lot. And so I'm trying to teach you this, Philip, that it's beyond your own strength, beyond your own wisdom, beyond your resources, beyond your timing, beyond your preconceived ideas. But how do we react? Come on, logical strategy. Listen, even if we worked for months, it would not solve the immediate problem. See, see this guy's smart enough to know that, listen, even if we could solve this problem with our labor, even if right now we all went to work, by the time we've earned enough money, everyone would be starved already. So even our labor cannot solve this problem. So we, we could try and try and try and do our best, but it's not going to work. They would have starved, and there's a recognition that every God-given vision recognizes this. You can't afford it. You can't work hard enough. There's not enough people. There's not enough resources. If Jesus doesn't show up, the problem would have already broken itself before you could even try to fix it. Every single time. That's why the idea of, well, one day is a horrible idea. Well, one day when I retire, well, one day when I do this, and you miss out with what's right in front of you now, because we just say, well, well, what good is what I have now? We see the masses, we see the problems, but we see, well, we only have this. What good is this? And we have to recognize this. He already has the answer. He already has the answer. The biggest problem on the table isn't the biggest problem on the table. It's just the most pressing. And I would be willing to say that's probably true for every single one of us in this room right now. The problem that you see as the biggest problem is not the biggest problem in your life. It might be the most pressing at the moment. There might be hunger pains in your belly at the moment, but God wants to reveal something else. Listen, I'm the bread of life. Devin, I think my water's somewhere in that area. If you could. He says this, sit down. Sit down on the grass. Slow down. Sit down on these grassy slopes. Thank you. Organizes them, gets them into small groups. Did y'all catch that? <laughs> Organize them, get them into small groups. Come on. <laughs> I've talked to so many pastors, and I'll tell you, I've heard this story so many times. We've been, we've been working and working and working, and we're trying to make something happen, and we're trying, to, we're trying to fulfill this vision, and we're trying to do all these things. And you know what? I, I go out of town, I'll go on vacation, I'll go something, and while I'm gone, God takes care of it. And, and, and there's this recognition, especially for us as pastors and for you as leaders, sometimes God just got to get you out of the equation. See, you think you're the answer. And sometimes if you'll just sit down and stop trying to make it happen, God's like, okay, now I could use you. If you'll just, just sit down, realize, I, I think, I think about the scripture, and I think about Genesis 1 and 2, and where Adam's in the garden and everything, and there's, there's something just a little bit off. And so God puts him to sleep, and my man wakes up missing a rib. Could you imagine that moment? He's like, there was something, ah, oh, yeah, totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it, God. Come on, y'all. Come on, somebody. But that's what it's like. Sometimes God's just to say, I know you've got these dreams. I know you've got these hopes. I know something's a little, but if you'll just sit down on the grassy slope, if you'll just stop stressing about everything, just take a nap, and you might just wake up to realize I've been working all the time. Sit down on this slope. See, God's, any God-given vision, it's big, it's expansive, but there's also the recognition that God can do it in your sleep. But there's all these people we got to feed, all of these things. All you got to do is sit down. All you got to do is be obedient to my voice in this moment. All you got to do is pick up that little bit of trash on the ground. All you got to do is tell your wife you're sorry. Come on, somebody. 
Well, I probably deserve that one. I need to just wake up every morning. I'm sorry, baby. I don't even know what I did, but I'm sorry. I'm missing a breath. I'm missing the. There's the realization that, listen, God can do it in our sleep. Now, this isn't by any means a passive thing and, and uh, the ability for you to just get lazy. No, but what it is is an invitation to work from a place of rest. It's an invitation to this realization that God's doing this, and we have the honor, just like Philip, to like, no, no, God, you're doing the miracle. I just get to participate in it. I just get to be part of your plan and what you, because you've already got the answer. The outcome is in your hands. And then look at what Jesus says. Listen, what do you have? You have to take an assessment of what you have now. Uh, well, we don't have enough. That's the problem. You only see it as not enough. Assess what you have now. Give it to me. Give me what you do have. Give me your two mites. Give me your strategy. Give me your wisdom. Give me your abilities. Give me your dreams. All of these things. God says, just, just give it to me. And then Jesus does something amazing. They put this little boy's lunch in his hands. And to the entire crowd, this looks like lack. This looks like, hey, we're going to feed everybody today. What do you got? To which the little boy's like, Listen, I showed up ready. <laughs> but then Jesus does this thing, y'all, and this, do not, if you miss, don't miss this. He gives thanks. He gives thanks for the perceived lack. He gives thanks for what everybody else says is not enough. He gives thanks for what, I know it doesn't look like much, but I'm thankful for what we got right now. I'm thankful for these five loaves right now. See, guys, we have got to learn how to give thanks from that place. I know you're not where you want to be, but man, God, this is what you've put in my hands right now, and God, I thank you for it right now. I thank you for it in the midst of this perceived lack, because in your hands, God, it ain't lack at all. And then he starts breaking it. He starts multiplying it. He starts multiplying it, going out. And I love the fact that like he breaks the bread, this is a common theme throughout the scriptures. This last supper, he took the bread, he broke it. The bread, the, the very thing that we're trying to use to feed everybody, the very answer to the solution, the very answer to the problem, and he breaks it. There's the reality that, listen, our lives are best served broken. To be broken in his hands. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough ability. God, it's yours to do whatever you want. And if you bless it and you break it, whew. man, I, I sometimes I wonder, like, God, why is it taking us so long to get to where we're at now and to, I know where you're going to take us. And part of it, I think God was just telling me, like, well, Lucas, you wouldn't let me break you yet. Lucas, you still had to have it your way. Lucas, you still wanted me to work the way you wanted me to work, and you were still trying to figure out how to work hard enough to make this thing happen. But if you put it in my hands and you let me break it, shh, watch what I can do. So this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to give you the five loaves that I believe Jesus has put into the hands of Coastal and what we're going to do with them and what we're going to see God do in us and through us. Now, there's uh, five pillars of a healthy church, uh, worship, outreach, discipleship, ministry, fellowship. All these five things constitute a healthy church, healthy ministry. And so we found these five things to be true for us in the direction that we want to take. And the first one I want to give you is this. Our first one is discipleship. Discipleship. Our first loaf of bread uh, when we survey, when we look out, when we identify uh, the problem with discipleship, COVID-19 gave us a huge blessing. Because for a lot of church leaders, we were able to step, by, step back, look, and identify a lot of weaknesses that we didn't see before. And, and some of the things that we identified, it was like, whew, 
we saw a lot of Christians that were not rooted in their faith. Come on, it took little things to knock people way off course. And I'm not trying to make light of it at all, but come on, y'all, we were, we were fighting with each other over a mask. Come on, we were going to war with each other over some little things. And, and, and if you read the book of Revelation, you realize it gets a lot worse. And if, you, if we really couldn't make it through that, how are we going to make it when it gets tough? And we've got to do a better job of making disciples, of rooted disciples that, listen, no matter what happens, God, I'm rooted and planted in you. And for the most part, uh, when you ask people about this, the, the problem that they'll identify is biblical literacy. That if we could just get people understanding the Bible, then that will be the answer to the problem, kind of. Because we live in the information age. And there is more information at your fingertips and in your pocket right now than there ever has been in all of human history. We, especially here in America, have educated some of the dumbest smart people on the planet. Come on, somebody. And if you haven't met them, you will. PhD, doctor, blah, 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 blah. And son, you didn't, I don't know how you graduated third grade. Some of the stuff that we're doing. And, and so knowledge on its own, listen to what the scripture says. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is for you, his good pleasure and perfect will. Now, we read that, and we're like, oh, there it goes. Tom said, renewing of the mind. But that's not all that it says. The patterns that have formed you, you have been formed whether you recognize it or not by certain patterns that need to be broken. There are patterns in your life that recognition through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, we are going to break those patterns and establish some new patterns, some renewed thinking, and then you know what? Then you've got to test them. In other words, just don't think because you now intellectually understand this thing that you've got it solved. No, you've got to test this thing and make sure that this is the perfect will of God and what he's doing in your life. Now, this is important because here in America, primarily our uh, advancement to education within the gospel, within the transforming of the mind, comes through what I would call classroom education. Classroom education is kind of what I'm doing right now. Someone speaks, everyone else listens. You grow up in school, the teacher teaches, all the kids listen. You go to college, someone gives a lecture, everyone else. You're supposed to go home, get the information. Hey, and you can graduate without actually ever doing the thing that you're now a master in. And that is our pattern for the most part, is classroom teaching. But when I look at the scriptures, I see three different things that Jesus does. One, that there is the classroom. Yeah, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's going into the temples. He's going into the synagogues. But then he's gathered a group of people, and he's walking with them side by side. And if you look back at your life, you could see and you can remember those moments where someone just came beside you side by side and the difference that it made in your life. Come on, if we're going to go and have brain surgery, I want to have someone that's done it before. I read the book. You ain't tested it yet. And so we need to form more side-by-side. -side. We need to form more mentoring and coaching. We need to, I mean, listen, the scripture says there's, there's not many fathers. And, and I don't mean this to be rude, but listen, Brunswick County, we're full of old people. We should have lots of fathers. We should have lots of fathers, y'all. And we need the older generation to recognize, listen, there's a younger generation that's crying out for you. They want to hang out with you. They want to walk side by side with you. Many of these kids grew up without a father in the home, without a mother. And they need you. They need you to step up into this. It makes the world of difference. So there's the classroom, there's the side-by-side. -side. There's also what I would call the sink or swim. This is where Jesus would take his disciples. He's mentoring them, he's coaching them, and then he would just push them out the nest. All right, you guys go. Go cast out demons, heal the sick, preach the gospel. See, we've got to do more of that. We've got to do, no, and no, you didn't just learn about it. No, 
you're going to leave here and you're going to go to Walmart and you're going to tell somebody about Jesus. Ooh, it just got real. Well, I'm okay. Let's, let's just stick to the Bible studies, right? No, no, no. Something happens when you get outside of your comfort zone. Something happens when you have the word of Jesus in you. It's like, listen, there's education. You've understood. I showed you side by side. I showed you how I did it. Now you're going to do it. You're going to do it. So we've taken these things. We've surveyed our church, and we've looked, and we've said, we have, a, we have a real big gap in this area. For the most part, we've followed in line with this classroom-type setting, and we need to create more spaces. So we have our growth track that helps you get connected to the church. We have our growth groups that help you get connected to each other, but we're starting something called our Grow Courses. And these things are designed around these three areas with seven particular elements to help you put into action those things that you're learning now to help you put hands and feet to what you're doing. And it's a, a year-long course. We've taken for the last two years, we've taken our interns through it, and we've just seen the growth. These Matt and Billy that were here leading us in baptisms, just the growth that has taken place in their life. Because you know what? There was teaching, but then there was walking side by side, and then we just pushed them into the deep end. Come on, you could do it. And all of a sudden, they were doing things that, well, I never thought I could do this before. And we could do that for every single person, every single person, to, to especially focus our attention on the next generation. That, that man, there, there's nothing. Like, don't let your age despise you. Come on, you could get up here. You could lead some worship. Come on, you get up here. You could preach the sermon. Come on, you could go. You could stand for Christ in your schools. And so we're creating systems that are intentionally designed to help us grow and, and, and if I was to kind of label this, I would say we're taking it from milkshakes to ribeyes. Come on. The Apostle Paul addressed this issue, first century Jerusalem. He's like, listen, I want to give y'all some meat, but I still have to give you this milk. And if we were really honest, there's some of us, we've been coming to church for 20 years and we've enjoyed the milk. I'm like, no, let's teach you how to eat some steak. Let's teach you how to like lead people to Christ on the street corner. Let's teach you how to baptize people in your backyard. Come on, let's see what God's gonna do in you and through you. Come on, because right here, even in this moment, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. No, no, I've already got that problem answered. Philip, I need to teach you something in your heart. Our second loaf is outreach. We call this the renewed village. Now, when the pandemic hit, uh, we actually started a completely separate 501c3 charity so our outreach uh, can function and operate completely separate and we could fund these things for some many different reasons. I'll get into that at another time. And by the way, all five of these things I'm gonna give you in January and February, some, some deeper things on, on why God's called us to do them. But it says this, uh, I, I, or, or the problem that we see with outreach is, I call it the problem with the org chart. And, and the problem with the org chart is for the most part, it's very top heavy. And the scriptures tell us, listen, our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, what I'm doing right now is to equip for all of us to be doing the work that God has called you to do. To, to not just kind of have this top heavy where we'll just leave that to the professionals. We'll just let the pastor do that. We'll let the prophets do that. We'll let the evangelists do that. I don't have that gifting. That's not what the Bible says. All of these things, this fivefold is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to create systems that aren't so top-heavy. Now, our desire is kind of twofold, local and overseas. Uh, locally, locally, we, we are planning different monthly events uh, that we can reach our community. Right now, we just finished up with October with Serve Month. And man, we tested the waters, and I'm telling you, we had the big bang, right? But then we had like 15 other little bangs, and the, the outworking of it was incredible. I mean, people were still serving these last couple months. It's like, no, no, we have groups, and we're going out, and we're serving. And so we want to intentionally create spaces where this outreach could happen, intentionally big bangs, small, small bangs with our groups throughout um, uh, the month, the, the calendar. Year. And we kind of found two different spots that we really see uh, where we could thrive in. One is food. Y'all love food. Y'all like, really like, hey, we're going to do something. Y'all just like, oh, yeah, no, I could cook that. I could cook that. And so we've already had discussions with the county 
Our facility will become the hub for South Brunswick for all disaster relief and disaster response. Come on. Yeah. We have things lined up in that area. And what, what's interesting is be able to, to, to serve people to be right there, like if they need generators, if they need, whatever that, whether it's a tornado or a hurricane or whatever those things happen. But what else that we found that we were really good at is this, that not only do we serve the people that are helping, but we're serve the people that are in need, but we're serving the servants. See, we would oftentimes go on to these uh, disaster sites and people were helping, but then we were just seeing, man, all the laborers are burned out and getting tired, and we would be out there just giving them cheeseburgers and giving them hot, hot dogs and giving them grilled chicken sandwiches, come on, that were a lot, you know, that free, not, not Chick-fil-A prices. Come on, y'all, $27 chicken sandwich or something. Get you a free chicken sandwich at Coastal. Put that on the marketing. But serving the servants, doing it through food, creating space when we do these outreach where people that are hungry could come and be fed. And then we also see a gap in our community for housing. Uh, we want to do something. We want to do uh, the Renewed Village. We want to do a tiny housing project that'll, that'll have three different tiers. Uh, so the first kind of segment of this, 36 different homes, 12 homes, 12 homes, and 12 homes. The first 12 homes specifically geared for the widow. For women, like, demographically in our area, women live longer, and we have a lot of women that have lost their spouse and in their older years, and now they're in this house, they don't know what to do, they want to, so we want to create not just a home for them to go to, but a community to surround themselves with. So there'll be these, yeah, 12 homes that we'll build, they'll be able to live there, the, ne the next, and that's, that's a long-term thing, the next 12 will be kind of designated for short-term. Um, just last night, we were at the uh, Recovery Center celebration. They're just giving the stats of all the things they're doing, man. And just, it's just incredible of what's happening. Some of these guys that are coming out of recovery, some of these ladies that are covering out of recovery. But one of the gaps that they've noticed and we've noticed as well is, is not just the men and the women that are in the recovery center, but the families of the men and women. So, so you got little boys and little girls that need some help while their dad's in rehab, come on. And to create some space where these families could go, where that, the, the guys can go through the program, they could have a house, they could get back on their feet. And it's not intended to be long-term, it's intended to be a temporary situation to help these families get back on their feet. The third part of it is we wanna try the next 12 homes for intern housing. So we're bringing young people from all over the nation to come and learn how to be worship leaders and how to be pastors and how to be missionaries and how to start all these things. And inside all of those three things, creating a space where they're all coming together, where, where they're learning and celebrating as a community together. That's kind of phase one of the tiny house project. Um, part of what we've designated inside of the building, we have a uh, that, that's our local thing, and then we're going to have our, our international. And, and that is... We've decided we want to find places strategically where you can go anytime you want to to take a missions trip. Right now, the system is set up so that, hey, if you want to take a trip, it's either in the summer months, June and July, and you go for a week or whatever, but we're creating a system in which it doesn't matter if it's February 14th or if it's uh, October, whatever. You could go anytime. The missionaries are already on the ground. The people are already there waiting for you. The projects are already set up. And you could go and you could take that trip. We have a missions team right now that's developing one of these courses that I talked about a minute, minute ago. So you could go through this course for nine months, learn all about these things before you ever step a foot on the mission field, come back. And listen, it's not just for our church. Man, there's so many churches that are, the average congregation has 67 people in it. And so for them to try to make a mission trip, it's really, really hard. But to create spaces where churches can come together, no, we could have a missions team that are going out. You could go through this course, and now we have 15, 20 different churches going into this one area, and we're committed to it for the long haul. So in other words, it's just not a one-time thing. And it's not just what we want to do, it's what that village needs, so we're not going in with preconceived ideas of, oh, we're going to do clean water. We're gonna, no, we're going to go in and we're going to assess, no, what is the actual need here? 
people on the ground, missionary on the ground, locals on the ground, and then we're committing to you for the long term to know that we're here for you, we're giving to you, we're supporting you, we're supporting your kids, and we want to see something happen generationally. Local, overseas. Part of what we've done at the church building as well, you'll, you'll notice that we have a cafe. Now, that cafe is designed that we're actually going to make it a kind of international cafe where the, the coffees and the drinks that you can purchase in there is not just not some, some Starbucks American stuff, but you could get some Vietnamese coffee. Come on, you could get some, some Indian chai. Some, I, I don't even know all these things, so I can't tell you. I don't even like coffee, y'all. But y'all do. So we're doing this, but all of the proceeds will go to, directly to missions. So every time somebody buys a cup of coffee, it goes to the Renewed Village Project. So there we are, disaster response, the county, working with the county, uh, local, overseas. Our next loaf of bread, ministry, we call these the Renew Centers. If I was to put a label on this, I would call this the, how are you doing? Busy. How you doing? Busy. So busy. Guys, we wear that like it's some kind of badge of honor. It's not. It's not. It really isn't. And, and what I've looked is I, I've kind of surveyed out, and we have become a people who have lost pace with the rhythms of creation. We don't understand Sabbath. We don't understand rest. We really don't know how to care for our souls. We're a people that are so busy doing that we don't know how to be a people that are just being. How are you doing? Busy, busy, busy. And all I hear is burned out, depressed. Anytime I hear the word busy, I just know that your creativity has taken a dive. Because you can't be creative and busy. Joy begins to fade Things begin to get overlooked. The very thing that once great gave you great satisfaction, you don't even want to wake up and do it. Because oh, I got I'm just so, so busy. I have a, a desire to see the burnout rate go down. I have a desire to see people and ministers especially get healthy. To minister from a, because I, I just believe 100%, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. We got a lot of people just busy, busy, busy. And so we, wanna, we want to purchase two different homes to start with. One right here at the beach and one in the mountains. Now this is a place geared for specifically two different types of people. The first type of people is this, families that just need a vacation. A single mom that she's been, she's been working her butt off. And the idea of being able to take her kids on vacation, that ain't never going to happen. So families that are they're, they're just poor and need some help, or, or maybe they're just coming out of the hospital or they've been going through cancer, what kind of a blessing would it be to know that, hey, listen, we've got a place for you. You could come here at the beach. You could go to the mountains. And, you know, it's completely paid for. It's completely free. You don't have to pay a dime. And it's not, just a, it's not just a vacation, but there's also people that are going to be there, if you wish, that are going to be there to support. So, so, so what do you need? And so, so they're going to cook breakfast, breakfast for you every morning. They're going to be your tour guides, show you around the beach. So, hey, you, you want to learn how to surf? You want to paddleboard? You just want to rest and lay in the hammock today? I'll bring you a drink while you're laying in the hammock. Come on. I've already talked to Dean and Judy about that. If y'all have ever gotten around Dean and Judy, I mean, that's their gifting. That's their calling. Just love on people with the gift of hospitality. Imagine that. Imagine like, all right, Dean, Judy, y'all are going to take these two weeks, and they're in the mountains for two weeks just loving on people, loving on families, kids that this is the first vacation they've ever been on, and then just praying for them, prophesying over them, believing them, and getting refreshed. So we want to focus on families and, and those that couldn't afford it, but then we also want to focus on ministers, pastors from all around the country missionaries that are coming off of the field, man. They've been serving over in India for all these years, man, just to come and know, listen, we don't want anything from you. You don't have to give us some detailed report. Just come and relax and get refreshed. And we're going to have people that are going to serve you and love you. Learn how to fall back into the rhythms. Learn how to sit down on that grassy slope and realize God's been working all the time. Refresh, marriages renewed. 
doing, doing, doing things for marriages, doing things for, for a couple, and just get there and get renewed. How are we going to pay for that one? Well, part of our strategy with that one is we're just looking for the perfect houses that have a really good rental history. And, and we'll Airbnb those things. And, and we'll use the profits to pay for those. And so if we have to Airbnb it for six, seven months, that pays for the other three or four months. Hey, we just did all this, so now we have three or four. And as time goes on, we'll reduce that deficit to now maybe we only have to rent it for one or two months, and then we have 10 months of people coming into this house, and it's paid for, all right? So there, there's, a, there's a revenue stream with that that gets paid for. The same thing with our outreach we're looking into. to, Or you could just write a really big check. <laughs> That's also on the table, the Renew Center. Our next one. Fellowship. I, I call this the CCTV problem. If you don't know what CCTV is, it stands for closed circuit television. In other words, if you're not part of that closed circuit, it doesn't leave that core. And that's what we've done here in America. See, some people look out and they think that the problem is hey, there's a church on every corner. The problem isn't that there's a church on every corner. The problem is that we have churches on every corner that aren't connected. The problem is, Jesus says, let's teach them to be one, just as you and I are one. The problem is that we don't have unity in the body. See, we have lots more corners, and we could use lots more churches, but we need lots more churches on churches that are on corners that know how to work together. We are not in competition with each other. Come on. We've got to learn how to celebrate with each other and to, to love each other and be there for each other, to focus on the body, to come together. Now, we've identified three kind of strategic events that will go and coincide with our outreach and our rhythm on, this, on the calendar, and that's prayer, worship, and outreach. And so imagine in January when we have our 21 days of prayer, we can also, do, no, no, inviting all of these other churches to join in, other pastors to come and lead us in prayer, 24-7 prayer where we have space that's completely safe and locked down where you can come in. We can pray for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We could, we could have, have all these spaces where uh, other worship teams are coming in and leading us in worship. And we have Embracing Christ Fellowship that comes with us sometimes. I'm able to go and I preach at other churches. And like, we just need to create more intentional spaces that is showing the community that we know how to work together. More intentional outreaches that we're bringing our churches together. No, no, hey, we're helping, helping people in this area. Yeah, and we're, we're, go we're, going, uh, we're going to this church's member, or this person that needs outreach at this place, and all of these things happening for unity in the body. I believe this 100%. I don't think this is an exaggerated statement. I've made it before, but I stand on it. The church of the future that does not know how to work together will not exist. The church of the future that does not know how to work together will not exist. I call this the table 133. Why table 133? It comes from the book of Psalms. Let me read you what it says. It won't be on the screen. I just want you to hear the words. It says this. David, the writer, says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, ran down his beard, and onto the border of his robe. Harmony, it is refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And catch this part. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing. Some translations say the Lord has commanded his blessing, even life everlasting. Now, I don't, I don't want to preach this because I'm going to use this in January. But did you catch this? First of all, the psalmist is right. How beautiful, how beautiful it is when we come together, brothers and sisters come together. And then, in order to illustrate this to the people, he says this, it's like oil, precious oil, off of the priest's beard. Oh, and it's also like this dew, this water. How oh, did you catch? Oil and water. They're not supposed to mix but when they come together, something beautiful happens, y'all. And I'm telling you, something happens when we learn rich, poor, young, old, 
black, white. When we learn there is a place in which God commands his blessing, and it's a beautiful thing, and if you don't like it, you ain't going to like heaven. It reminds me of that old story. I think someone said, uh, they were talking to Francis Chan, and they were like, you know, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if we could worship together with these people, and I don't know if I could worship with black and white, and I don't know if I could worship with these types of people, and, and then I don't know how it's going to be. And to which the pastor looked at him and said, well, you ain't got to worry about heaven because you won't be there. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> the last one, and I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet for this one. Is worship. Worship. Some time ago, there was a hat that came out, and it was very popular. And on that hat, it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And while, it, you know, I, it, I'm just using it as an illustration, but that's the problem. He's not. He's Holy. And the Father is looking for a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And you have, we have to, part of our mission, part of our calling is a recognition that we are calling people to come. You came here today to meet Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is worthy of all of our praise. And every time when you see in the scriptures, when people get in his presence, they fall down as if they were dead. And we wear hats like he's our homeboy. No, 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 he is holy. He is righteous. And I desire to be a part of a church who wants to worship him in spirit and in truth, and it's not about me, and no flesh would glory in your presence, God. That everything we do would be to point people to you, Jesus. You're breaking the bread. You're multiplying the bread. You're feeding it. Where do you just get to participate? We're conduits to what you are doing, Jesus. See, we have this idea sometimes when it comes to promises and dreams and visions and the problem is we get caught up with the promises and the dreams and the vision you realize when God led the children of Israel hey, turn that down just for a little bit for me for a second when he led the children of Israel out he wasn't leading them to the promised land that's not what the scripture says the scripture says he was leading them to the desert take them to the desert that they may worship me, then we'll get into the promised land. See, if you try to bypass the worship and the presence and just go straight to the promise, whew, problem. I wanna lead a people that says, yeah, we have all these promises, we have all these hopes, we have all these dreams, we have all these visions, but we ain't going nowhere unless Jesus goes before us. Not one step, not one house, not one building, not one thing, not the 36 houses that we want to build. Jesus, if you don't go, we don't go. Because we want to worship you and be obedient. And if you tell us to sit down on the grass, we'll sit down on the grass. And it might be that we just wake up one day, and even last night we were there, and, and Josh, who's leader of the, the recovery center, said, we had this plan, and the plan was going to take us 10 years, and God did it in 18 months. But he only did it in 18 months because he was breaking his servants. And Josh had the wisdom to know we can't do this. Yeah, we have our plans, but God, we're putting it in your hands. We're putting all of this. We're putting this little boy's lunch. We're putting all these $30 million worth of projects. God, we've got like four bucks and some crackers. You can do it. You can do it. This is what you want to do. To worship in spirit and in truth. Now here's the thing. As I close this up, I just want to take a minute and worship today. Somebody's in here and they're thinking, that's great, Pastor. But what about the two fish? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's for the next generation. Maybe God has something 
for the next generation to tell us what that is. Oh, this is just the thing that God has told us. But want me to blow your mind real quick? Something that just makes you think for the next 12 years of your life. Where'd the baskets come from? 12 baskets. Everybody's talking about the fish and the bread. Like, did people like, hey, we're going to the desert. Nah, we don't need no food. But bring the empty baskets. I don't know. Here's the thing. This building, it's just an empty basket. God's going to fill it up. God's got more leftovers than we have. Man, come on, y'all. All of these things. We've identified, we've identified some things that God wants us to do. We're investing it heavily. We're investing with our time, our money, our energy, our prayers, our lives. But we're also inviting. We're inviting you. We're inviting others in our community. And if this is some things that you want to get in on, we're a team. This ain't Lucas's church. This is Jesus's church. And I have to decrease so that he could increase, so that we can be a people that can grow in our worship and our discipleship and our fellowship and our ministry. And the first thing I want us to do is, you might want to leave this place and start to say, well, how, how, how? It means being grateful for what you got right now. Jesus took what he had in his hands right now and started to give thanks. So let's take a few minutes, church, and let's just worship together. And we're not worshiping from a place of lack. We realize all of this is in God's hands, and he could do what he wants. Amen? Let's worship. Well, we hope this podcast has blessed you. In case you didn't know, we are in the middle of renovating a brand new facility right here in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So listen, two things. Please take a moment and pray for us. Also, if you'd like to give to the ministry, sign on to the website at mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Grace and peace.